0: I, I suppose at one stage I had something like five hundred thousand words that I had that I had composed over the years, and and a lot of that was was the historical background.
1: Hello, and welcome to History Through Fiction, the podcast. I'm your host, Colin Mustful, and today I am thrilled to be talking with David Torrey, author of The Stanfield Chronicles, Exploration and Retribution.
0: And He said, David, I'm sorry, I'm so caught up with the story, I just can't wait for the next chapter. Just keep them coming.
1: After 30 years in the computer industry and 13 years with the Essex County Community Foundation, author David Tory began researching philanthropy in 17th century New England. His research uncovered facts about the early settlements that appeared to be generally unknown. As he delved deeper, the character Isaac Stanfield evolved to become the observer and participant in that early history in what became his novel series, The Stanfield Chronicles. Tory is also a lifelong sailor. Born in the UK, he moved to the United States in 1980 and now lives on Cape Ann, Massachusetts, with Helen, his wife of 48 years. Well, I want to start with the the title of your series, The Stanfield Chronicles. Um, Can you tell us more about your protagonist, Isaac Stanfield, who he is and what historical setting we find him in? Yes.
0: Uh, Isaac... uh... I needed to create someone to act as an observer and a participant to describe the activities behind the eventual settlement in New England by the separatists coming out of Leiden through Dorchester England and then, sorry, through Plymouth in England uh, and then moving on the Mayflower across to New Plymouth or uh, Patuxet in Massachusetts. the the idea of having a a protagonist, if you like, who was the narrator enabled me to talk uh, about what I was discovering and the historical research I was doing uh, in a way which made it, I suppose, more immediate. But it also provided a counterpoint to the historical um, narration, if you like, the background historical, the story of of what happened, By also uh, including Isaac Stanfield's own story uh, of growing up and running away to sea and falling in love and 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 establishing himself uh, through the story as a an adventurer, uh, a a young man of initiative and a great deal of luck, uh, but also someone that the reader could uh, engage with and 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 want to follow uh, in in terms of. uh, a major character in this historical narrative, although he was fictional. Uh, he, he was one of the uh, primary fictional characters in what was meant to be a, a description of events and real people uh, during this
1: time. So you mentioned that he's. Isaac is sort of an observer. That he's your observer. You must have done a lot of research and needed needed a way to share this research. At what point did you kind of separate yourself from that character, and he took on a life of his own? <laughs> uh,
0: fairly early on. Uh, the background to the story, or the why I wrote it, was 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 in, is interesting because I I'd never intended to write a history. Uh, I was much more interested in. Understanding the the uh, nature of philanthropy in in New England, because I'd come out of a philanthropic uh, uh, career, uh, and I was concerned or I was interested in understanding why it seemed more difficult to raise money in non-profit money, charitable dollars, in in New England than in elsewhere. And I assumed it had something to do with the uh, the, the Puritan uh, background. So that was the basis of it, the, the historical research. Um, and so for many years, I was doing research into that and then falling into this uh, extraordinary research process where I understood, I began to understand that there were questions that weren't answered by the conventional history. Uh, I found out uh, various things which were I felt were just too too coincidental to be glossed over uh, in part of a, as part of that history, and so uh, I became very much engaged with the idea that, that that the history needed telling in a slightly different way, or, or more information needed to be provided as background to what was known historically, and so my nature, I suppose, is to become uh, totally engaged with that research process. So when I decided I needed to have someone uh, who could actually be the narrator of what was going on, uh, I became part of that person very quickly. Uh, and so um, when I t- converted my writing process from being one of writing research uh, in in historical fact or my conjectures around the historical fact, uh, and I had to introduce a fictional uh, component to it, um, I very happily enveloped myself in that um, individual, uh, that Isaac Stanfield. Uh, And so I was looking at it from a point of view as much as anything is that, how was I responding to this? How would I react to this? And I was really Isaac Stanfield at the beginning stages. What I found fascinating was that as I really became involved with being Isaac and writing the story from Isaac's perspective, I ceased to be driving the process quite quickly. And I found that I was sitting down and writing and waiting for Isaac to tell me what was happening. I I became disengaged from directing and I became a recipient, if you like, of the uh, of the story that was being told by Isaac in his own way, and the life that Isaac was leading in his way. And he was I was just waiting for something to happen. I was saying, Well, what happened next, Isaac? And Isaac would then take control of the story and I'd be writing it down.
1: Well, that sounds really interesting. Um you're, you you mentioned quite a few things there um, that brought up a few questions for me. Uh, here in in America, we generally, when we're very young, we learn about the Pilgrims. We learn about Jamestown, but you talk about the separatists and uh, an era you know before Plymouth Rock, before sixteen twenty. Who are the separatists, and how are they different from what we have come to be told are the Pilgrims?
0: Ah. Oh. In uh, about 1607 or so, uh, a group of people who had been identified as part of the nonconformist group, concerned about the uh, the Catholic influence on the Protestant faith, the Church of England, the Anglican Church, who were part of what were called the Puritan movement to purify the Church of England, became uh, convinced that this was not going to work by just trying to purify the Church of England. They wanted to actually separate out from uh, the, 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 the Anglican faith completely. And this group eventually, uh, through their visible dissatisfaction, uh, became uh, the subject of investigation by the authorities. The, uh, both the Church and the King, uh, king, uh, king James, was becoming increasingly concerned because King James was the the head of the Church of England and therefore any uh, uh, rebellion, if you like, against the church was a rebellion against himself. uh, And this was a traitorous uh, process. So they put huge pressure on this group. And so the group, uh, or a significant number of them, uh, fled, if you like, uh, in the face of persecution and they went to Leiden in Holland. Uh, and then by 1617 or so they were realized that they were really had had moved to an area which was foreign to them, their children were growing up, uh, becoming Dutch. Uh, they were in they were mostly people who lived in the countryside and they were forced to live inside Leiden, which is a very a fairly large industrial city. Uh, and they were becoming increasingly dissatisfied with with life, and I I discussed that in the book. Uh, So they uh, decided uh, that they needed, in fact, to move on from there, and given what had been happening in New England, the research, the the, the explorations, and the uh, establishment of Jamestown in 1607, uh, and due to influence from England, uh, players who were supportive of them, they... Felt that that moving to uh, America would be the way to go, uh, and so when they left Leiden, going through Plymouth in England, and then on to uh, on to uh, North America, uh, they were going as a group of separatists. The the, the separatist movement within the Puritan, the overall Puritan uh, uh, um, movement itself. But these were very, very specific. They wanted to separate out. They weren't really called pilgrims in those days. Um, people talk about the pilgrims, but that was a name that was given to uh, the, the the group that went with the Mayflower many years later. Uh, they were they were known as Puritans or they were known as the Separatists. Uh, and the pilgrims was a, a pilgrim. The name pilgrim was was something that was actually. Uh, um, assigned to them by, by, by later historians.
1: And what did they find when, when they reached, you know, what had become called new England? I'm specifically curious about the, the, the native people. Um, your synopsis states that Isaac had a fascination and respect for the natives. Um, yes. so what, what did they find and what was that relationship like?
0: I think we need to go back a little bit. Uh, when the, when, the Mayflower left, when the separatists left in the Mayflower, they thought they were going in fact to uh, the Hudson River, uh, where the Dutch had a settlement. So they were moving from Leiden, which was obviously a Dutch, uh, a Dutch city, and they thought they'd been given uh, the opportunity to take land around the, the mouth of the Hudson River, which is sort of where New York is now. So they weren't expecting to go to New England at all. At the same time, uh, and this is what I was finding out, uh, the people that were driving the exploration uh, in New England were actually part of a a broad, many-year process of of trying to build uh, settlements in New England for various reasons. Uh, The the reasons being, I've explained in my book, uh, they're commercial. Uh, political, uh, economic, uh, and such like, uh, but they needed to have a settlement in New England that, 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 that would give them not just legal ownership, but but ownership by possession, uh, because uh, other entities were interested in taking over and becoming uh, taking over parts or all of that particular area, which is Northern Virginia or or New England. Uh, And so the the effort was being made uh, to ensure that that there was a settlement there. Uh, At the same time, there were, in the explorations that took place, that coast of New England had been very well mapped. It had been uh, called Gosnold in 1602. uh, Samuel de Champlain, after whom the lake is named, uh, did a huge amount of research, or not research, but exploration and mapped and charted that whole area uh, coming out of New France or Canada. Uh, Sir John, uh, sorry, Captain John Smith of Pocahontas fame, he did a lot of, uh, of, of, of not only explored, but he charted and mapped that whole coastline. So it was well known. Uh, that whole area was well known. The individual harbours had been, been, been mapped and charted. In fact, including uh, the harbour that became Plymouth, Massachusetts it had been well mapped and, and, and people knew exactly uh, essentially what was there but not only what was there but who was there the the natives the native population one of the things that I found extraordinary was that, that Native Americans were brought back from North America from specifically from New England uh, area uh, but over the years and then sent back to New England again uh, having been taught English, uh, having been uh, basically learnt, having taught themselves the English about what was happening in New England, who the natives were, who the Native Americans were, uh, and what their interests were, uh, so that they could become essentially uh, guides, interpreters, uh, and the liaison, if you like, between the people coming in to, to not only explore but to settle in New England, and the Native Americans themselves. And these people, uh, including people like uh, Tisquantum, who had been captured, brought to England, and had various adventures, and then sent back. Uh, Somerset, who I believe uh, came over here under under a different name, under the name of someone called Comet, who changed the name, we went back. Uh, These were people that uh, I have Isaac, Isaac meeting and getting to know. and and, and, and spending time with. Another person called Epenau, who was very antagonistic towards uh, uh, the English because of the way he'd been treated in England, he was sent back. And the extraordinary thing was that that these people were there when the the separatists arrived in this place that had been well-mapped, waiting for them in effect, when the separatists themselves thought they were going somewhere else. At the same time, they were going to create a settlement which was desperately needed by the people who were actually uh, trying to control and develop New England. So your question about, well, who were the Native Americans? I think what the point was, was that who were these Native Americans that were there essentially waiting for the, uh, the, the, the separatists when they arrived? Now, as far as... In 1617 or so, the the, the plague or the, the the terrible epidemic that happened, which which was brought by the English into uh, the North American tribes, uh, decimated uh, the Native American population. So that by the time uh, settlement started, there were very few uh, Native Americans actually on the in the coastline. They they not only had they been uh, they died, but they they had moved away from, uh, from the coastline because they, obviously for protective measures they had, they had moved away from, from, the, from the areas where the disease had, had, had taken away so many of their friends and their, their family and uh, their tribe members. So uh, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't anything like the same uh, aggressive, or to start with, certainly, there wasn't anything like the same uh, issue or series of issues that, that say, said happened down in in Jamestown in terms of the antagonism antagonism between the Native Americans and the settlers. A because there were less of them, but also because the ground had been prepared ahead of time by these uh, Native Americans, been brought to England, trained, and then taken sent back to uh, back to their, their home countries.
1: That's fascinating. I never knew that they were almost there to facilitate that settlement, it sounds like. Yes. Well, it's clear that you, you've you done a lot of research uh, and you studied this history quite a bit, and you, you show that on your website by including maps and information about key historical figures. Uh, why did you decide to include all that information on your website?
0: <laughs> Simply because it wouldn't fit into the book. Uh, that's that's a simplistic response. Uh, I I ended up writing uh, my research. I, I suppose at one stage I had something like five hundred thousand words that I had uh, that I had composed over the years, and, and a lot of that was was the historical background. And when I started writing, uh, I had to decide what I was going to write. Was I going to write an historical essentially a a, a factual account, a history, if you like, or was I going to write a story, a compelling story, which included the historical background? And I was advised uh, by editors and friends, uh, amateur and professional editors, if you like, uh, that really uh, it was a history that needed to be told as a story. And uh, of course, if you tell a story, a fictional story, you can somehow embroider uh, the facts. You know, never let facts get in the way of a good story, but it enabled me to, to uh, extrapolate the information I'd gathered into a, uh, into a sort of cohesive story which uh, that needed to be compelling, but also uh, historians might question. And I'm happy to have that debate, but I didn't want to it to spoil the story by being uh, working with the conventional history that, that 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 was being taught in schools and and was known generally. So uh, the idea of of the story meant that a lot of quite apart from the fact that it was just a, a voluminous amount of information, uh, uh, I was wanted to create a a, a resource, if you like. Uh, where I could put a lot of the historical information uh, to be used as a reference point for anyone who wanted some of that background information. And also it could be used by me for if I was doing more historical research, it would be a a useful sort of a a resource or or if you like a a repository for me to put additional information uh, that I might find of interest and other people might want me to put in through... Uh, dialogue, blogs, and whatever else. So that, that's how it happened.
1: Well, it sounds like a reasonable compromise, I guess, and actually practical the way, you, the way you put it, that now you have a repository, a place to to get that information when you need it. Yes. So we've, we've talked a lot about the history. We've talked about Isaac. Um, tell us more about you and your history and and your interest in sailing and how that kind of plays into... Your fascination with this history and writing this story.
0: Yes, uh, I I started my career as a computer programmer in England, in London, in 1962. Um, that's in the days when we were dealing with first-generation uh, computers that filled the basement of large uh, um, office blocks in not only well, London but elsewhere, and. People were saying, well, we probably only needed 10 of these computers uh, that would satisfy the computing needs of the, na- of the nation. Uh, it, was, it was that, that, that era. And it was fascinating, uh, which incidentally could form the basis of, of, of other books uh, that I have in mind. But, but leaving that aside, uh, that career and computers actually lasted for 35 years. Uh, I, I moved. To the United States with my family in 1980, um, having started a company and sold it, uh, and that company in turn was acquired by an American company, uh, and I moved to moved to Long Island uh, and was there till 1988, and then I was asked to run a software company in Massachusetts, in Boston, actually in Cambridge, um, and I ran that for seven years, uh, and. Then retired, deciding that um, uh, I didn't really want to see computers anymore. Uh, I'd been there, I'd done that. And uh, through a a, a series of happy uh, uh, coincidences, if you like, uh, I became involved in philanthropy uh, through something my my wife had started or helped start. Uh, And I started, again, it's another story, but uh, I started a, a community foundation Uh, covering the county, the Essex County, it's called the Essex County Community Foundation, and ran that uh, and participated in that, and eventually handed that over uh, through an interesting history of of events, good and bad, Uh, but eventually handed that over in 2011 or so, and that's where I really began to concentrate on trying to understand uh the background to new england specifically as related to uh uh giving uh, um and recognizing that puritans probably uh what was it the the their, their, their motif was i give of myself but not of my wealth um and it was this background that really caused me to really go into some very serious research uh and it wasn't until um uh, I didn't really start writing the book or, or converting this all this material into book form until probably about 2018 or so. The first book came out in 2020, and then the second book came out this year.
1: And when when did you take up sailing?
0: Oh, Sen sorry, yes, good question. Uh, I've been sailing all my life, uh, mostly uh, England. Um, I started life as a as a very a young Teenager uh, in sailing on an area called the Norfolk Broads, which is in uh, East Coast County, which had lots of lakes and rivers and things in it. Uh, and uh, there was sailing there, it was uh, an interesting time, especially in the Easter when the wind's off the North Sea. It was uh, very, very cold, but we'd go on cruises for the school I was at, um, boarding school. We'd have cruises in the Easter for a week or so, and we'd Go on, live on boats and sail them around. And then uh, my family, again, a background of part of my family is in Bermuda. So I sailed in Bermuda as well, uh, the youngster. Uh, And then uh, when I moved to the United States uh, in 1980, uh, I bought my own boat, sailboat, and upgraded that. And I had a sailboat, a 37 foot uh, sailboat. which my wife and I sailed in, uh, when we moved up here, uh, we sailed all up the west, uh, the sorry, up the east coast, uh, everywhere between the uh, from Cape Cod, all the way through and spent an awful lot of time in the main area, sailing down east towards the, the coast of Canada. And so for 30 years, uh, that really was part of my sailing, uh, offshore sailing uh, to the extent of of, of Sailing uh, from Cape Ann across to um, down to Penobscot Bay and there and beyond, and we kept boat the boat there. We used to spend weeks on the boat, uh, just enjoying the, uh, the, the the coastline and beginning to understand the history, if you like, of, of, of the, the main history from a seafaring point of view. So, I've enjoyed sailing. Um, I'm some of my 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 favorite authors like um, Hornblower and O'Brien, um, and, and such like, Alexander Kent, uh, all who used to write about the 18th, 19th century, well, 18th century, uh, specifically early 19th century history, both in terms of warfare and and essentially marine, marine life, for want of a better word. Uh, so my library is full of those sorts of books. So I was very much brought up on, not only from a practical point of view but from a from a literary point of view, I was very much imbued with the uh, the, 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 the naval and nautical uh, uh, environment.
1: Well, I have to admit that I've actually never been sailing. I also live about fifteen hundred miles from any oceans but well, <laughs> right. You narrate your own audiobooks. What was? When did you decide to do that? Was there was there a learning curve to it? Was it enjoyable? How did that come about?
0: Well, I've always uh, I'm a frustrated actor. Uh, um, I've I've acted uh, amateur acting. Uh, I've done that on and off a lot of my life. Uh, My brother was a professional actor. Um, uh, My brother-in-law was uh, an actor. I shared a flat with an actor. So although I was I went into business if you like, uh, a, a, a small part of me was was very much uh, very much enjoyed the performance the performing uh, on stage. and uh, when I became a, a, a senior executive, uh, I did a lot of speaking uh, as well uh, in, in various countries uh, uh, talking about the products, my company, manufacturing, talking about the computer uh, industry generally. So I was very comfortable on stage talking. Uh, so the idea of doing a recording, uh, I, I must admit, when I first started, I did a research research to find out what the process would be. And I, I listened to a lot of, I suppose there were databases, web, websites, where they had hundreds of different um, actors who were offering their services. And I'd listen to them uh, and I'd take snippets and I'd read t- snippets of what they read and how they read. And I I reached the conclusion that, that I thought that Isaac Sanfield was so much part of myself and I was so much a part of Sanfield that, that uh, I felt that it was something that I could do. Uh, so... I like reading aloud, so um, I'd, I'd read pieces of the book to my wife and, and, and uh, generally enjoyed reading aloud the process. So, the idea of, of, of reading aloud a, a book was not foreign to me. We, Helen and I, when we we're on uh, on the boat at night, when we we're snuggled down in a little island, the fog outside, and everything else, we'll read to each other uh, books at, um, over a glass of wine or two. So, that whole sense of audible audio uh, engagement in, in narration and that sort of thing was, was good. So I we looked around in our house and realized that I could, it was a, a small space that I could convert to an audio studio, and I had that done. And I began, and I had someone uh, interacting with me, a professional uh, communication person interacting with me. We talked a little about what the equipment I needed and, and, and gave me some tips. And I started recording uh, and it was a little bit painful to start until I essentially learnt the ropes. And I had a professional uh, um, audio engineer uh, who took what I had produced uh, and the, the, what I had edited and, and handed it on to him and he, and chapter by chapter and, and he would uh, tidy it up and, if necessary, uh, would suggest I re-recorded a piece, uh, but in fact, um, <laughs> part of the problem was that he became so engaged with the story that that when I kept saying to him, "You've got to tell me if if I'm missing a point or I'm not this doesn't not coming across right," because you're objective and you could actually uh, probably give me much better critique than than, than anyone else. And he said. David, I'm sorry. I'm so caught up with the story, I just can't wait for the next chapter. Just keep them coming. <laughs> so I didn't. Uh, so anyway, uh, the net of it was is that uh, the book was produced, and I'm now currently recording the second book.
1: Well, good for you. I, I you know, I listened to the sample, and it, it sounds great. Um, I do think that's interesting that, you know, you have to find a way as a writer to get your meaning across through the the craft elements that are available to you. But I never really thought of it that there's a a new element when you're using your voice, using your inflection to convey that message kind of subtly, I suppose.
0: Yes, there's actually, it's interesting. Uh, One of the problems that I found in listening to the sample recordings of the various people who, Basically, were selling those services as, 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 as narrators is that they almost all were actors, and they were acting. Um, and I found that it was slightly off-putting because I didn't. I wanted to read it as though I was re- reading it to my daughters or, or reading it to someone, and I just wanted to make it interesting. But I didn't want to go over the top by being a part of it, taking the part of each of the individual characters, giving them accents, uh, uh, talking, uh, uh, trying to separate out the characters by by sound, if you like, uh, and by inflection. So what I did was I, I I just focused on reading the story uh, as though I was actually telling the story, not acting the story.
1: Well, like, like I said, I think it sounds great. I think maybe the the, the pacing you read it with is, is what really works. So you've got um, exploration, retribution. What's next here in the Stanfield Chronicles? As soon as I
0: finish the recording uh, of Retribution, uh, I will be starting uh, the, the actual putting together uh, Redemption, which is the third book. And I've done a lot of the plotting. Uh, I know what I'm going to be writing about. Uh, the history will take us from uh, the departure, oh, well, sorry, the, the, uh, the arrival of Isaac and his family in Salem in 1628, which is they, they, they leave on the uh, Abigail with John Endicott, who was the first governor of Massachusetts in 1628 from Weymouth in England. Uh, and then the first part of the story will be the, the journey over, uh, which is interesting because an awful lot of trips were made in, in horrendous conditions. But there's very little literature which actually describes in detail quite how horrific the six weeks spent uh, in a very cramped, smelly and leaking boat where you did not have room to move, let let alone sort of get around uh, and and enjoy the the experience. So part of it will be to explain that. But then it comes into Salem, and then what happens through the next few years. It'll end probably around 16, uh, about 1635. What I don't want to do is to go over ground where the history is well known, I want to explore parts of, of, of what was happening that aren't well known, that haven't been told or have been glossed over in the history books.
1: Well, David, congratulations on your books. Uh, we definitely will look forward to the next one. And I want to thank you so much for joining me. This has been a pleasure. Well, thank you,
0: Colin. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. and Thank you for the opportunity.